Attention, all troops. She's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rockerless. As a kid. My friends and I loved playing with our action figures, and we had a very specific way of playing with them, setting them up, and then conflict or whatever would unfold with them. But really the setup was where we shined. It was fun to build little bases and find little nooks and niches in people's houses or yards. As we got more into role-playing with Dungeons and & Dragons and games like it, our appetite for a deeper type of play expanded and we would get more into our action figures playing the characters in them but there was still no rules system around it that was until the transformers came out and the thing that made the transformers so different than other toys that had come before it is that they included tech specs they had on the back of the box information and this sort of hidden coded message of what the strengths or weaknesses of each robot toy was. We would use that information at first to settle arguments about who would win in a fight, Megatron versus Optimus Prime. But eventually what started to happen is we got more formal about it. We started looking at these stats as character sheets for our toys. And at first it was pretty easy. Obviously Megatron could beat up Bumblebee. Maybe it would take a while and we would play that into how they would interact with one another if they were fighting. But when you have favorite characters, you start to think, well, maybe they're capable of things greater than what's listed on their character sheet. That's when somebody needs to step in and be the referee of the game. Unfortunately for me, I had assumed the role of Dungeon Master in our D&D games and Game Master in many other role-playing games. And so I was nudged into the role for when we played Transformers. While that role had a certain amount of power and responsibility, it also meant I just sort of hung around while everybody else was playing, and unless there was some sort of conflict, I had very little to do. I just sort of was the official audience for the game. And as you might guess, I began to resent that, and resent the Transformers, which was a shame because I loved these toys when they came out. What's not to love? Group play and the dynamics of it are complicated, and not everyone gets to play in the way they want to play. Sometimes someone's got to step in and decide who's going to win in a fight, Skywarp or Ironhide. Just so you know, the correct answer is Ironhide. This will be an overview of the early years of the Transformers, starting in 84, and will continue over a few years after that. This begins a multi-part series. There are a lot of podcasts and books and documentaries about the Transformers. So if you don't know much about them, hopefully this will be a good overview of the toys of that era. And if you want more information, you might want to check out some other sources. On today's show, we're going to talk about the people who came up with the Transformers, the toy line they derived from. We'll talk about the toys as they came out, why they might have been so well received, some of the real fun things about them, their reception, their amazing longevity, even for the time, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
the Transformers are a line of mecha toys, robotic-looking toys. They are still being sold in the United States by Hasbro. They got their start in the 80s, but even before you would know them as the Transformers. They were originally part of two toy lines from Japan, the Diaclone and Microchange toy lines. The premise of Transformers is pretty simple. A toy that looks like one thing could eventually look like another one. And the idea would be a vehicle that looks like a truck suddenly transforms into a giant fighting robot. And you can extrapolate upon that for these robots looking like anything. Hence the tagline of the toy line, more than meets the eye or robots in disguise. We'll do more with story and character in future episodes. But you should know that the Transformers are made up of two factions. The goodly Autobots, led by Optimus Prime, and the bad Decepticons, led by Megatron. They are originally from a planet called Cybertron, where everything is mechanical and robotic. They fought a war there and crash-landed on Earth, where they were dormant for millions of years. They awaken in 1984. First the Decepticons, who start to do bad stuff because they're Decepticons. Then the Autobots wake up, and they instantly begin fighting again. You didn't know this when you first got the toys, necessarily. You got some details. You'd really get to know that stuff as a kid when the cartoon came out, and then even more so when the comic book came out. Arguably, the toy line wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Henry Orenstein. Born in 1923, he passed away in 2021. The CEO of Hasbro credited him as the catalyst for the Transformers coming to be. He basically spotted the Diaclone and Microchange toys that I mentioned earlier and pushed Hasbro to repackage them and come up with a new storyline. He also would be one of the holders of the original patent for the rub signs that were on these toys, and I'll talk a bit more about rub signs later for these figures. He holds that patent with George Dunsey. Ornstein had a really interesting life. He was a refugee during World War II, was put into five different concentration camps, and survived before coming to America. He would be the person who would go to Takara and say that those transforming toys would do well in America, and then convince the CEO of Hasbro to take a chance on the Transformers. And while he came up with that, he didn't come up with the name the Transformers. That is credited to Jay Bacall, who was the son of the chairman of the agency Griffin Bacall, Joe Bacall. In addition to coming up with the name Transformers, he would also work as the creative director on the Transformers cartoon. He would later go on to work on some other great Marvel productions, including G.I. Joe, Gem, Visionaries, Inhumanoids, and Bucky O'Hare, amongst others. The Griffin Bacall Agency was founded in 1978 by Joe Bacall and Tom Griffin. They had worked together before, and one of their big first clients was Hasbro. They would use them on many of their famous toy lines of this period, including Transformers and G.I. Joe, which basically meant their approach by Hasbro to adapt the toy lines into the American market. And supposedly it was Griffin Bacall that suggested that when they had these Diaclone and Microchange figures coming to America, that they merged the two and changed the name to just Transformers. They also came up with the idea that there wouldn't be pilots in these vehicles. That wouldn't be what these are about. They are instead intelligent robots. Finally, they came up with the idea of turning them into two factions, the good Autobots and the bad Decepticons. Of course, a lot of the mythology and story around them wouldn't actually come out of Griffin Bacall, but instead from the company they would partner with, Marvel, as in Marvel Comics. And we'll talk a little bit about them and the people who worked on them in a little bit. 
のバトルコンボイに続きパワードコンボイ登場キャリアカーとしてカーロボット対全身騎士として。さらに合体してパワーロボットに宝のカーロボットパワードコンボイ Now Takara had come up with this great idea for transforming toys that had small human pilots in them miniature figurines the Microman toy line Takara was founded in 1955 and they would create toys for decades before coming upon the Diaclone and Microchange toy lines. Two other toys that you might know from them might be Battle Beasts or Penny Racers. Those are things they both came up with. Eventually, they would merge with Tomy to form Takara Tomy. So if you're doing searches on Takara, you might want to just be looking up Tomy. That's often just how it's called now, even if it's Takara Tomy. The other company that contributed to this was Bandai. You might know Bandai for video games. They started in 1950, but really took off in 1961 when they started making action figures based on the anime Astro Boy. They had created some transforming toys and would license several of their molds to Hasbro for the Transformers. This included the Transformers Jetfire, Roadbuster, Barrage. Ransack, amongst others. They would also be the ones responsible for another very famous transforming toy, the GoBots, which were derived from licensing their machine robo toy line to Tonka. Now, a lot of people come down on GoBots as simplistic, but some of them are really cool looking, and the story was interesting. I think it's very easy to look at one toy line if you like it more, the Transformers say, and then look at its rival and say, that's the worst, that's the worst, but no. GoBots were pretty cool. Some of them maybe weren't as cool as the Transformers, but there were some interesting ones there. And a lot of people, that was their only transforming toy and their childhood. One of the things that would set Transformers apart was the marketing. And there w a s a lot of things that were happening at the time that were changing America in a way that would favor new toy lines. During the presidency of Ronald Reagan, there was big deregulation on what would be allowed to be shown to children, meaning you could really blur the line between entertainment and advertising. And in many ways, shows like The Transformers and G.I. Joe, Inhumanoids, you name the toy line, were basically 30 minute commercials for the toy. And often you'd be watching a Transformers cartoon, the commercials, the real commercials would come on, and they would also be for the Transformers. So you'd be getting a one two punch. You'd get the commercial for the Transformers and you'd return to watching the full Transformers episode, which was in itself a commercial for the toy line. I remember when these hit store shelves, we had a 5 and 10 in my town that would carry just small sections of any new toy line, just a few. And we would pop in there every week, my friends and I, and look, well, what's new? What's new? And the Transformers were remarkable. The packaging, the detail on the toys themselves were. Huge leaps above, say, like GoBots. And once one person had them, everybody wanted them, which is amazing because they were premium and they felt and looked premium at the time. One of the things that made them so intriguing was what was on the back. I mentioned already that they had tech specs, and I'll go a little bit into how tech specs worked in a little bit. Each Transformer would have his own bio, which was written by Bob Budiansky from Marvel. And so you already got a backstory, and you would see this with G.I. Joe, which was great, but Transformers kept that rolling. And that, combined with the tech spec, made them something you could just pick up at the store and just start reading the box. 
it made you want it even more. They also did the very common mail-away offers. So you would clip the UPC codes off the packaging, and they would have different point values depending on how much you paid for the toy itself. Just another little tweak, something that made it more interesting if you're going to send away for something, that having a toy that was more expensive gave you a couple of more points. It's just amazing that the toys themselves while innovative, just weren't as impressive as the marketing machine that went behind this and the creative people who drove that forward. Marvel Comics would be hired to create the backstory. The editor-in-chief at the time, Jim Shooter, wrote the overall story, but he gave the task of character creation to Dennis O'Neill. And while O'Neill would be the person who will be remembered for coming up with the name Optimus Prime, ultimately Shooter wasn't happy with the way it was proceeding and chose Bob Budiansky to work on the characters. He would come up with the names for the rest of the characters, including Optimus Prime's biggest rival, Megatron. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Bob Budiansky, but I'm not going to go too deep because I will cover Budiansky when I do the comic book podcast. Budiansky was born in 1954. He was the writer of most of the U.S. Transformer comics from Marvel and the creator of the mythology and powers and names of the characters during the first few years of the franchise. It started out as a four-issue miniseries before going on to a full-blown comic book series line set in the Marvel Universe. Budiansky would be shown toys and they would say, well, come up with information about them. Tell us what this character is. And so a lot of what you see on the toy shelf would come out from Budiansky's brain. According to Budiansky, he was basically left alone. He didn't need to concern himself even too much about the cartoon, which is why there would be some divergence on the cartoon and the comic book. And of course, a big divergence from the movie, which while it would feature characters that he created, he would not be the one working on it or writing it. Now I'd like to get into the toys themselves. What I'm going to concentrate on is the beginning of what are known as Generation 1 Transformers. And generations, in terms of Transformers, are a retroactive term that is applied to a certain timeline that have been defined, in this case, as starting in 1984 and going until 1993. The ones that you will see in 1984 are the ones that came out of the Microchange and Diaclone toys that they licensed from Japan. And so it's important to look to who designed all of these things over in Japan. And we should look back a little further, even, to the work of Shoji Kawamori, who created the anime franchise Macross, which in the U.S. you probably know as Robotech, which is where the idea of transforming mechanical robots came from and would be the basis of the Diaclone and Macross franchises and eventually the Transformers. We do know who designed all the other toys that would become the Transformers here in America. Kozin Ono was one of the most busy 
designers of Diaclones. His designs would become the Autobot cars, Hound, Blue Streak, Skid, Jazz, Mirage, Inferno, Sunstreaker, Sideswipe, and Trailbreaker. The Decepticon Jets, Thundercracker, Skywarp, you name it. That is all Ono. He would also be responsible for, in the future, the Dinobots, the Trainbots, the Constructicons. So, really had his fingerprints all over the toys themselves. But he wasn't alone. Hideaki Yoke was a designer who worked on Gears, Swerve, Tailgate. You can find information about him because he was the liaison between Takara and Hasbro when the original releases were happening. But they weren't alone. Other great designers include Hiroyuki Obara, who worked on things like Optimus Prime, amongst others. Akio Kitamura, Masaki Moriyama, Satoshi Kazumi, who created one of my favorites, Soundwave, Takashi Matsuda, who created Megatron, amongst many others, and finally Yukimitsu Matsushiro, who would create Jetfire and Roadbuster. People who created some of the best toys of our generation, so everybody should know their names. So how did that transfer from Takara to Hasbro happen? Hasbro bought the rights outright, worldwide, except for Japan. Takara was given the rights to make the toys and to distribute them in the Japanese market. And it's amazing how little changed from what was being created to what would be released in the United States. Most of the time, the big changes were stickers. They also needed to conform with safety standards in the United States, so they would take away things that would shoot missiles, say, that could poke somebody's eye out or something like that, basically make the toy a little bit more boring. I guess the big thing you would see from the toys of the past to the toys of today were the use of die-cast metal which was a much bigger thing for toys in the 70s. They did not use a lot of plastic. Remember, in the 70s, there was a big increase in the price of oil. So petroleum products became pricier, and that included plastic. And so a lot of the toys of that period would be made from die-cast metal. They would have rubber tires. Some of them even would look really cool and be chromed. Unfortunately, all of those things do not age very well. If you have old metal toys, you will see the hinges loosen, the paint chips, rubber, of course, dries out. And so the use of plastic that would come to happen in the 80s was actually very useful for extending the life of a lot of these toys. So what toys came out in the U.S. during that time? You had Autobots and Decepticons. On the Autobots, you had these mini cars, which were small toys, a little bit cheaper. These are the ones my grandmother would get me. Brawn, Bumblebee, Bumper, Cliff Jumper, one of my first Transformers. Gears, Huffer, and Wind Charger. You also had the full-size Autobots, Blue Streak, Hound, Ironhide, Jazz, Mirage, Prowl, Ratchet, Sideswipe, Sunstreaker, Trailbreaker, and Wheeljack. On the Decepticons, you had Skywarp, Starscream, and Thundercracker, the Decepticon planes. I guess. You also had the Decepticons communications character of Soundwave, one of my favorite. And the cool thing about him is he looked like a cassette player and he had cassettes inside of him that transformed as well into animals that he can control. You had Frenzy, Laserbeak, Rumble, Ravage, and Buzzsaw. And of course, there would be two leaders on the Decepticon side. You had Megatron, who was a gun, and Optimus Prime, who was a very cool truck. And the chronoforms, so at the chronoforms you had Auto Scepter, Deceptor, and Kaltor. And then there would be mail-away promos. You had the Power Dashers and the Omnibots. So a lot of options right away 
were available in the U.S. Now, in Europe, they would not reach, in theory, the shores of Europe until 1985. But a lot of the toys from the 1984 toy line were available in the U.K. that same year. And that shouldn't surprise anybody because Marvel Comics would launch a very respectable UK comic, which we'll talk about later, in September of 84, and they needed something to sell over there. So no matter what, these toys were around maybe just a few months after the launch in the US. I was trying to read some forums, trying to decide what had to come out and what had not come out, and it seems like things were a bit chaotic when they were trying to sell these over there at the time selling of Transformers as a toy line would have some legs over there. So it's good they got them over there early. Only the heroic Autobots can save Earth. Sideswipe, grapple, ratchet, jazz, a whole army. Ewan Decepticon, Autobots, transform! Transformers, robots in disguise. The evil Decepticons must be stopped by the heroic Autobots. The battle goes on. Robots in disguise from Hasbro. So I have the Sears catalog here. And turn this and bookmark this. And they have in the 1984 catalog on page 570 the Transformers. And if you get to look at this and you can find these catalogs online if you don't own one. There are two transforming toys in 1984 right there on the same page. The GoBots and the Transformers. Can you guess which one has the bigger coverage? It is, of course, the GoBots. But the Transformers are there. A third of a page dedicated to them about. And they look really cool. As they are described, Transformers. There is more than meets the eye in these robot wars. The everyday object you see may be the Decepticon enemy or one of the wise and kind Autobots made of die-cast metal and plastic for ages 5 years and up. Prices go from $9.99 all the way up to $22.99, which is a bit more than the range that you would get to with GoBots, which go from $8.99 to $21.99. So $1 less. I wonder how many kids who wanted Transformers got GoBots because their parents were trying to save a few bucks. Another interesting thing about here is that, let me just check this other page, they do not have any of the minis here listed. So if you're getting Transformers from the Sears catalog, you're getting some full-size ones. On the second page right after where the descriptions of all the characters are, they also have Robotics were for sale that year, and the A-Team toy line. I loved Robotics. One of my favorite toy lines from when I was a kid. If anything, if my friends had gotten more into robotics like I was, I would not have probably played much with the Transformers. I also have the JCPenney catalog from 1984, which dedicates a bit more space to the Transformers, although they're carrying a lot less. And they're putting them on the same page as the Diacron Multi-Force robot, which looks a lot like Voltron. But on theirs, they describe them as the Transformers, a family of toys that transforms from vehicle to robot characters almost miraculously. Almost. It's warfare between two forces, the evil Decepticons and the rebel forces of the Autobots. Characters travel around disguised as high-performance vehicles, then reassemble into warrior robots. Multicolored plastic parts are interlocking. All are packaged with attachable weapons, biocard, tech spec chart, and decoder. Remember that. Note, each Transformer toy changes shape and is shown both ways for ages 6 years and up. And that's what's really good about this. They might not have more Transformers here, but they are showing 
them in both forms. So you're seeing Optimus Prime as a truck, Optimus Prime standing tall, Soundwave in all his glory. Great page. So if you have this catalog or want to look it up, it's page 490 of the 1984 JCPenney catalog. They also have the Transformers storage case. What's weird is they do not put the name of some of the Decepticons here. You have Soundwave, Optimus Prime, but you have Decepticon Leader, so no Megatron. You have Decepticon Silver Plane, Decepticon Blue Plane. Then you have Police Car, Camper Vehicle. Interesting that they didn't put the details and the names in there. And finally, they have a Transformer storage case. Sears didn't have that. Looks like a vinyl case. Two compartments, jumbo size, holds all sizes of Transformers and accessories. Opens 23 inches wide. Exciting graphic scene on vinyl case. So it is vinyl, and I have never held one of these in my life. Kind of wish I did. If you were a catalog surfer from back in the day or want to just look at them now, this one is on page 490 of the JCPenney 1984 catalog. Are you a fan of the Retros podcast? Do you like more retro stuff? Why not check out the Retroist Patreon? Go to patreon.com slash retroist. Supporters of the show get bonus episodes, bonus tracks, bonus scans, access to the Retroist Discord, and more. Feel good about yourself and make a difference in the world. Support the Retroist. 1984 was a big hit. And in 1985, they would expand the line significantly. And Diaclone and Microchange were really pushed to the limit. They pulled as much as they could, bringing over the remaining car robots that they hadn't. You'd also get the Constructicons, the Insecticons, the Dinobots. One of my favorite, Pepsi Optimus Prime, which is basically Optimus Prime with Pepsi branding on it. And as I said, not much was different than what they were selling in Japan. But the things they did add were good. The stickers I mentioned. And one of the stickers that they included was a rub sign. Technically, what a rub sign is, is a layer of mylar plastic that has thermochromic liquid. And at different temperatures, the crystals change, making some pattern you might have in it visible. If this sounds familiar, you might have owned a mood ring, because that is the principle by which mood rings work. Rub signs didn't show up right away, they were put on the mini spies toy line from 1985 but then once they caught on they started putting them on everything letting you know if it was a autobot or decepticon my friends and i would speculate as to why they included these and when they did include them they were often in weird places where they didn't belong based on how well thought out these toys had been designed but they kind of became a calling card for the transformers if you were getting a knockoff or a gobot a gobot didn't have a rub sign and it was just a little tweak that made the Transformers just that much more special. As I mentioned about the packaging, which just looked good and very premium, you also had the tech specs, all of which were made by Buddy Ansky, and they would have info about the traits of that Transformer. So things like strength, intelligence, speed, endurance, rank, courage, firepower, and skill on a scale of 1 to 10. Those stats work perfectly for a role-playing game or a toy game that you're adapting into a role-playing game and to see it you needed this piece of red cellophane and you would put it over it and then you would be able to more clearly see the blue line that gives you the stat itself so you would look at optimus prime and see that his intelligence is off the charts it's way up there as is his courage and endurance basically everything optimus prime is awesome but you couldn't see that without the red cellophane very well a decade after I was done collecting these, I was still finding pieces of red cellophane that I was using to decipher 
the traits of my Transformers for years afterwards. One of those interesting toy artifacts that would get into your toy chest, kind of stick in the corner, and then you'd find a little bit later, it would find its way into a junk drawer, and you'd think, where did I get this? You got it from your Transformers and your friend's Transformers. The toy line, even after 85, would continue to expand, and then they would be big changes that would happen in 1986 with Transformers the movie. Some that will haunt us forever, but that I'll save till the movie episode. Post-movie, they would even create more Transformers, and they would continue to do well throughout the 80s. But as the 90s roll around, the Transformers fell in popularity in the United States, but they were still doing well in places like the UK, Japan, and Canada starting in the 90s. The Chikara would take over production completely of them and would just use the old molds, but with new color schemes and new finishes and stickers on them. They would also change things that had become unpopular, like Megatron was a handgun. They would make him not a handgun. Instead, he would become a tank, which I always thought made a lot more sense anyway. He should have been a tank the entire time. I like the handgun, don't get me wrong. What I love is that he can convert into a handgun, and then another Decepticon could shoot him. I just think he's cooler as a tank. They're selling so well, we can never keep them in stock. Uh, both items, we get about a thousand requests a day. And uh, whenever we do get stock, we're sold out within two or three days, and it's another five or six weeks before we're able to get them in again. The sales manager of New York City's largest toy store is talking about the toy industry's newest craze, GoBots and Transformers, which are a cross between small die-cast vehicles, which have been a favorite of kids for generations, and space-age robots, which can assume a variety of shapes and forms. Reception in the media was mixed. But fairly positive. Parents, of course, never fully understood what was going on, and neither did reporters. They just knew that the kids were crazy for them. Some praised the potential educational nature of Transformers, because they're not just figures. You have to actually transform them. And there were often news reports that would show older people trying to transform a Transformer while a kid would be doing the same one in seconds. The adult would still be futzing around, saying, oh, I don't know how to do this. What am I doing? What is remarkable about the Transformers when they came out is how successful they were in a very competitive market. Today, we have a lot fewer retailers. I mean, just look, I came from a town that had a small toy section in what had been a 5 and 10, and they had to stock that. Those type of stores are long gone. But even if you look at nationwide, you had department stores with toys. You had major toy chains. Now, a lot of it is big box stores or online shopping. So the competition for shelf space just isn't what it used to be. And the Transformers were going up against some pretty tough competition. You had G.I. Joe. You still had some Star Wars fans. You had the GoBots. And the Transformers came out swinging with their toy line, with their cartoon, with their comic book, and the right convergence of creative people along with a great concept built by really talented designers who could call upon a little bit more history in their creation in Japan than they could in the United States for the same type of toys. And most toy lines at the time would last maybe a year, maybe a couple of months. The Transformers shipped the exact same toys for years, many years. That makes them a rival of things like Star Wars. You know, the original Darth Vader shipped for over half a decade. That original one that everybody was buying was still the same design. 
And so without changing, they could continue to put out this toy and make money. Maybe they changed the packaging. Maybe they didn't most of the time. And people still love them. And that's because it's a great looking toy that fires the imagination. It has a great background, talented people behind it, and unlimited potential for the future. You could always make new Transformers. And yes, eventually fatigue would set in and people would move on to other toys. But the fact that you could still walk into a big box store today, walk to the toy section, and see a Transformers toy on that shelf shows just what an amazing thing happened in 1984. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at retroist.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Mastodon. I'm at twitter.com slash retroist and retroist at mastodon.social. The music in the show is by Peachy. If you like what you hear, you should follow Peachy on Twitter and Twitch. He's at PeachyPixel8. That's the word Peachy, the word Pixel, and the number 8. Thanks to everybody who's been supporting the show. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by giving it a 5-star review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you download the show. If you want to support the show further, you can drop by Patreon. I'm at patreon.com slash retroist. For just a few bucks a month, you could support the show. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Decepticons, superior, superior. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.